Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. Hello, guys. Welcome to a special episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast. This time, we're joined by football expert Jasmine Baba who's here to talk to us all about the Bundesliga, the Premier League, and a little bit of how football affects people's mental health. So how are you, Jasmine? I'm good. It's a very rainy um, Easter Monday here in Germany. I know that in some places it's snowing as well. So it's not as sunny and happy as it has been over here. I was going to say, Lewis, is just, I just got off the phone with Lewis and he said it's snowing in Dusseldorf as well, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, lucky nice. enough not to have any snow, but rain, so just as bad. At least snow's a bit more fun. Oh, it's not. It's not like it's staying. Uh, it, it's staying on the ground too much. It's not that cold yet, but oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. So, football expert and consultant, just take us through like a typical day or a typical week for someone like you. Oh, it's really. <laughs> especially in my position it's a really really not every day is normal a lot of it is dead time uh, I work part-time in a lot of these different roles and I'm a bit of a jack of all trades so it will really depend on what people need me to do and what I feel like doing so I'm quite lucky um so my main kind of job is um being an editor and research assistant and that's the editor is just, you know, editing pieces and podcasts and any kind of content, which I have been before throughout my life. Um, mainly more gambling industry and gambling editorial, which got me kind of into more sport and more sport journalism than I had been in the past. So that would be like a good 50% of a month. And then you've also got um, part-time where I will consult on a freelance basis. I have one client and it's basically um, advising next steps in the football industry um, with that. And then you've got all my little roles that I do, just little media appearances, writing here and there, just little freelance bits. So Jasmine, you would, you would describe yourself almost then more of a, um, in a sports media role then? if I understood it correctly? I guess because I'm not so much in media and it's more um, institution editing. So it's ah, okay. not really front-facing, it's uh, more research. Ah, okay, makes sense, makes sense. So you talk about your like your free time, things like that. So you, we'll put a link to your blog as well in the description for this. You've done a piece on... Marco Rose at Gladbach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're of the opinion here that announcing him as the Dortmund manager was a really tone-deaf thing to do when they did it. 
would you say <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> definitely yes would would you say that that's had any impact on how Gladbach has suddenly dropped off from a European football chase? It's a really hard one because there's, I think it was the catalyst, which they weren't doing so well. And especially compared to last season, where they eventually ended up in the Champions League spots, so this season where they tra- trailed off from the start, they had, were probably overperforming just a little bit last season. You know, you had Turan breaking out. You had player um, scoring a lot more than this season. You had Neuerhaus. You had the majority of Zakaria for that season before he got injured, a really long injury in March up until November. So... I think a few of these things had scampered their European title charges this year. And a lot of their stats and metrics had also dropped dropped off, which was kind of what my piece was about. Um, anyone who's seen uh, Marco Rose's Red Bull Salzburg team, they were one of the only Salzburg teams to somehow not be comfortable in the Austrian title race. They almost lost it. And so there's a lot around of what Marco Rose actually is and what he can do to improve the team. And a lot of that things have gone the other way in this season as it is. Now, the Dortmund thing was really funny because I don't... Obviously, Dortmund's also in a precarious position right now. And I think at the time, maybe someone on their side leaked it because it's really good PR for them. Um, because, you know, they were in with Mönchengladbach for a race, um, a European spot race. So it kind of derailed Mönchengladbach and it kind of looked good from a PR point of view because Dortmund finally had the man that they wanted. Um, But it was a catalyst because Marco Rosa, as I said, kind of lacks in some tactical nuances, but... Overall, he's a great man manager. And if you take that kind of away from him, you've seen the struggle that we've recently got after that announcement. I think the whole point on that one is, just as you said, man management. The minute something like that falls away, you almost have sort of a uh, like a, a dip in man management, if that makes sense, because you leave the players then thinking, oh, do you know what? I really don't see why I should be listening to this manager anymore because he's going to be gone in three months. Yep. So then all, exactly all of a sudden, if, yeah. If, if that's the only thing that's basically, if as you said, that makes him a good manager, then obviously we might just have the answer as to why Gladbach just kind of tapered off the minute that whole um, announcement was made. And it kind of gives them a little bit of background to what happened just before Cone. He got rattled by the journalists as well. You could see him kind of lose it. And even now, like there's there are certain players that are kind of acting up in front of everyone and just leaving little droplets of clues of what's going on behind there. And um, despite them winning against Freiburg, you know, they could have easily lost that in another day. You might see more losses coming their way. It's going to be quite hard to rebuild rebuild that team if any of them go f- 
from there as well. So that's Marco Rose's current club. We want to talk about Dortmund because the talent that they've got and the players they have, it's not been a season that many of their fans would have expected. It's been a very stop-start. And like, is it a mentality thing? Is it a management thing? Where do you stand on that? I think there's quite a few problems with Dortmund. They've always had um, great talent in going forward, but not always the structures that help them. And then they've never really addressed their defence. I don't think Matt Hummels is the best defender ever. And then you've got this mismatch of, in some games, they're great in possession, but a little bit, a bit wasteful. I mean, you're relying on these young guys to be consistent, which won't always work, but they don't seem to have a plan B. Terzic has at least increased their intensity a little bit, we've seen the season. And for all the world-class players, at the moment, they seem to be big game players. They'll get up for Sevilla, they'll get up for against Bayern Munich, um, but then against Cohn, Freiburg, Augsburg, those kind of teams, you, this is when we see them struggle. Um, so, yeah, apart from that is mentality. Because these are the players who aren't so great at... at like motivating themselves in these smaller games. Um, maybe they know what's going to happen because they don't have the structure that helps them beat low block teams. Um, and they probably, I mean, I think we all know that Harlan's probably gone and Marco Rosa won't have him. So, And Mukoku's uh, injured for the rest of the season. So whether they try and pull back into those European places they, I mean, at the moment, they might not even get into the Europa League. And that will be a massive blow for them in terms of a rebuild with Marco Rosa. Harlan won't want to stay. Um, Sancho probably won't stay. Those players will then become a lot cheaper because a lot of them want to get out. Do you think, in that case then, do you think it's because they're so focused on making these massive profits from players? Because we've seen it with Usman Dembele, we've seen it with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, we're going to see it with Sancho and we're going to see it with Haaland. Do you think that being their main priority, until they change that, they're always going to be this second string, almost nothing team? I think I do question the, the board's kind of decision-making at times at Vatska. I, I mean, if a player wants to leave, then you're going to have to let them leave because once they're not completely motivated, they're not going to be a good player for you. But in terms of managerial decisions, like the sacking of Tuchel especially, it looks like they've just triggered the gun so many times. Um, it's just they had a clock, they've lost clock. And now they've got a massive clop sized chip on their shoulder. <laughs> um, I think you could have done, I mean, Tuchel is the only one who's won anything with them at, since all their managers that they've gotten sacked. At least Favre had a structure. Okay, Favre might have just gotten them to the place 
where he could have. But Marco Rosa, after that, I don't know where their intentions lie now. Um, then no one's ever going to be the same rate as Bayern, and especially how the Bundesliga is poised. Um, it's not like the Premier League. The finances are different, and it's harder to, be- to become a big club. And sometimes you're going to have to um, sell your best players, but it's really their managerial positions that make me feel that they're more of a feeder club than actually challenging. Um, I feel like if they kept a better manager, I mean, they hardly gave gave Peter Bosch a chance. Um, And I know he kind of, he, Peter Bosch is sometimes up and down, but at least he's innovative, which you don't really get in a lot of the Bundesliga coaches. And that makes me think that they don't know what they really want to do. They want to try and perform to the likes of Bayern without any of the resources to actually do it. I could see why uh, why someone would say that. Um, but I wanted to go back to your point where you said that Dortmund may have done the whole Rosa deal or announced the whole Rosa deal as like a PR stunt. Would you say that they've kind of hurt themselves now? Because now they're getting a manager who, for lack of a better word, has lost the Gladbach dressing room and has lost more or less the authority over players. And to bring someone in like that to now hopefully lead you back to your former glory days, would you say that uh, Dortmund kind of shot themselves in the knee there or that it was a smart move? That's a hard one because I think I'm I'm really not sure. There seems to be like a, a split with Dortmund fans. Some are still quite happy to be getting him, but I think anyone who knows Rose's tactics... I don't think they'll be too happy, especially now. And there's always something that goes around that Nagelsmann's not ready for the buying job because he hasn't managed big players. Okay, but what of Marco Rosa at Dortmund? These are players that are known to be a little bit more fiery when it comes to management and just like the team. How is someone like that going to control that? I do not know. And so, yeah, I think... Part of it is them shooting themselves in the foot now, but I think at the time they had nothing to really lose at all. A bit like um, if Javi Alonso was actually signing for Gladbach, like that 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 shot their image up so high for that one day that you know some sometimes they need something like that. And at the time, I think it was good for Dortmund. But look at them now. I mean, I don't think they'll get any further than City in the um, Champions League. Uh, I mean, they have been playing better. But then, okay, if Terzic gets them even further, wouldn't you go, uh, maybe we should give this guy a shot? Is he going to stay as assistant manager? I have no idea. The players love him. So there's that. And I think if Terzic stays while Rose is there, you're going to get a clash of what players like in front of the team as, as coaches. Yeah, yeah. But I think we've talked a lot about Gladbach and Dortmund, and I wanted to get your take on now a team from the Premier League who has gained a German manager, and that is Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel. Because, you know, if you look at the stats, obviously just 
just from them going up from ninth when he took over to fourth now and with West Brom being the first time they've actually lost. Um, would you say that Thomas Tuchel is now successfully using, you know, the new players in the positions they like? Because Billy and I have definitely been critical of Frank Lampard not using Havertz and Vanna in the positions where they are strongest. Would you say that that is a uh, key part to the whole uh, revival under Tuchel or that it's more than that? I think there's so many things when it comes to the revival and uh, I mean <laughs> I don't want to sound like a broken record when it comes to Frank Lampard I say this a lot he's one of the worst managers I think I've possibly seen manage a team that cost how many millions like they, they, they recruited badly I didn't think they needed quite a few of those players um, to begin with it was kind of like oh look we can do this now let's do that and Frank Lampard took them as far as they could and got pretty lucky in the season before. Um, but they didn't need those players and Tuchel quite easily has something that Frank Lampard doesn't. He knows how to install structures into his team. He's tactically gifted. and I mean, most managers have just structures and a basic philosophy to that and Frank Lampard just didn't have any um, so he Tuchel's definitely saw the better structure in attack and made them better at counter-pressing so their defence is so good because they get the ball back quicker meaning there's not really anything to defend um, but yeah I guess uh, especially in Bernie's case he was best in his best seasons it came from using the left kind of area of the pitch and um, using his speed, his pace in transition. And Tuchel has really played him a little bit more here. And it, you've definitely, I know, Werner scoring, missing easy chances, but anyone who watched him in the Bundesliga for Leipzig knows he does this. He's quite inconsistent when it comes to this kind of stuff and can be a little bit more weak with the ball. Um, but, you know, his kind of acting play, aiding other people on the pitch, has been vastly improved because he's in the right position. Um, unfortunately, because of the schedule in the Premier League this season, you, you can't really do much with implementing a new movement, a new structure. It's just too little time to do something. And I think that's what Bernie needs. So I think... Yeah, we'll probably see more of this, more of an improvement next season rather than this one. Yeah, it's worth uh, worth noting that we did send you those questions before they conceded five against West Brom. <laughs> we didn't, to be fair, no one saw that coming. We didn't see Thiago Silva making a stupid mistake and then them just completely crumbling. But it's good to see how they um, come back from that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like, we just recorded a normal episode and we, Lewis mentioned that if you play Rudiger or you play Christensen, instead of trying to give Thiago Silva minutes in his legs, that probably doesn't happen and they probably win that comfortably. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can see the, I can see the reasoning behind it. You think West Brom's going to just be an easier opponent, but just after the international break where everything's just a little bit more weird, probably not. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
But uh, Billy, unless you have anything else to add, I wanted to bring one final topic full circle, and that is the perception of the Premier League and the Bundesliga. Because as you've worked in both uh, or worked with both leagues, taking a look at both leagues um, and seeing you know, the differences and the similarities between the two, um, I wanted to ask your opinion on the perception of both leagues because many perceive the Premier League as, you know, being the best league and the Bundesliga, you know, some people go as far as to say it's a farmer's league. Would you say that is down to the fact that one of them is marketed better than the other and thus has more money? Oh, um, I think people who call other leagues farmer leagues, <laughs> as, as much as I use it, ironically, um, don't actually watch the league. There's a reason why English players come over to German football now and for their development. We've had um, Sancho, we've had Bellingham, we've had Reese Nelson come over. Um, there's so many more. And it's just, I don't think people watch it completely. Everyone got involved with it at, when it was the first top five league to restart during COVID. And I think people actually saw the talent. And I think, yeah, there's a money problem, but look at Chelsea buying how that like using so much money or Man City using so much money and not winning the Champions League last season. Um, I think that it's two different styles of leagues. Bundesliga is a lot more free-flowing and attacking suits there's just no defense I would say <laughs> especially if you look at Bayern's defense this season um okay fair and I, yeah I guess there's a kind of difference and I think a lot of it comes from the coaching um the Bundesliga doesn't have any big names coaching it anymore you've got Nagelsmann and that's really it no one cares about Hansi Flick outside of Germany no one cares about, well, okay, there's a little bit for Marco Rosa, but you wouldn't call him a top-tier manager. Look at him at Gladbach. Whereas yeah, Premier League, you've got, I know Mourinho's absolutely awful, but still a big name. You've got Klopp, you've got Pep Guardiola, you've got Arteta who uses, who's, these are innovative managers. You know, like There's not, not much individual innovation in terms of Bundesliga coaches. And I think that has something to do with that and the perception of how it's viewed. Who else have we got in the Premier League? You've even got the absolute, uh, you've got um, Hassenhutl who went from Leipzig to Southampton. You've got rumours that Nagelsmann would be interested in Tottenham right now. Uh, that's the, the people would sell their right arm to get into the Premier League from Germany. And it's just because of everyone else who's big is currently in there. But that doesn't mean like the league is better or worse because you go to the, to the Champions League and what is it? The last one who won it was Chelsea in 2011, 2012? No. Uh, 2012, yeah. Liverpool, 2019. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, before just, that. Liverpool is German now. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> with, with a German, German manager, it just doesn't German. count anymore. But, oh, God, I forgot yeah. that happened. I'm going to blame that on um, COVID and me not remembering anything for the last two years. Yeah. It's okay. I've tried to remember. I tried to forget that one as well. <laughs> yeah, okay, but that's just bi- that's just bias from Bill. But that, I mean, but that kind of under my uh, underlines my point. You know, Hansi Flick uh, has 
now brought the best team since Barcelona under Pep Guardiola, who also won six titles. Like you, you can't deny the fact that along with that Barcelona team, the current Bayern team or the Bayern team that won six titles is probably the best team to ever grace football. So, and then for a manager like that to not get the recognition that probably says it all, I think when it comes to the way a league is marketed, because, you know, you have manager, people watch people who would rather watch Mourinho um, than Hansi Flick at this point, you know, that's really just down to marketing because if you take a look at their football, you know who you'd rather watch in an instant. And it's definitely not the special one. That, that's really fair. But I'm like, I mean, again, it's fine. I mean, do we think any other manager who came into that Bayern team would have done that as well? Because you've got Lewandowski, just the best striker in the world, if not the best player in the world currently. I think you know. Yeah, but I but I'd argue also if you take a look at uh, if you take a look at teams, you know, who play, you know, they have great teams, and then you just say any manager go could go in there. I think yeah. the best the best example of that is probably Nico Kovac because you know <laughs> not many people knew him, and he inherited a Bayern team from uh, Ancelotti, or you know after Ancelotti got sacked and Jupankis uh, took over as interim. He inherited a team who weren't bad. I mean, they did the Bundesliga again. They they won the double. So he inherited a pretty damn good Bayern team and he didn't do well. So I would still argue that, you know, even as good as Bayern are, you still need a solid manager to get the best out of that team. I, yeah, that is fair. I think a lot of it is about A, big names. And yeah, that is a marketing issue. And I completely forgot Ancelotti was even in the Premier League right now like we talk about big managers yeah and Mourinho is definitely outdated um I think these are managers that did show their own styles of innovation and I think again Hansi Flick as good as he is doesn't have an uh, a special tactic like the same as uh, even Klopp you know they all span from the Ragnick kind of years and coaching and teaching um yeah yeah so they they don't have their own individual like not personalities but tactics um like a style of play they're known for yeah yeah, exactly even Arteta's kind of molded his own kind of thing with positional play um, in possession play um so yeah it's an interesting one about that but you know then you get stuff like the Champions League and then an English team just don't win anymore I mean apart from Liverpool which is again another one of the greatest teams of like, I think, in Europe to win the Premier League and the Champions League in one of the hardest, most challenging, I wouldn't say best, I would say most challenging leagues in the world. Yeah. That's an interesting take, actually. Just before we move on to the final questions, I'm, you're quite open about talking about mental health and things like that on your Twitter page, on your blog. Just with lockdown and people being stuck inside and that, how has or how do you think the amount of football that's been on, how do you think that's had a positive effect on people's mental health during lockdown and things like that? Again, there's like a 50-50 split, especially at the moment. I think the longer lockdown and the pandemic goes on, you're going to get tired of 
most things it's very easy to be stuck in a rut and I think football at the moment has made us feel that way um although as soon as it broke up for the international break I was missing club football like straight away um so I think I'm one of the ones who thinks football on every day is actually really great even if it means I'm really busy because it gives me a sort of routine, something to look forward to, something to work on. And I think you've got people who still feel like I do when it comes to club football. And then the other 50 are just completely tired of it. And, you know, I, I can see why at the start it was, especially with like first lockdown in England, everything was kind of new and exciting. But then as soon as that goes longer and longer, it does get tiring. Um, but I think overall, the amount of football that's been on is good for mental health. It does give people something uh, to focus on, to look forward to, to support their team. And as we clo- hopefully, hopefully, hopefully close out the pandemic now with the use of vaccines, I think people are now going to be just really really fidgeting to get into stadiums once again yeah I think by the time the Euros is done I think football will be oversaturated for me and I'll be absolutely uh dying for that summer break (laughs) (laughs) yeah I've got a rule that I just don't work international football I'm not I don't know as much about it and I just now think that is the best idea that I've taken unintentionally because the week break that I've had is actually quite good for me especially with the world cup next Christmas as well it's going to be absolutely manic oh Jesus Christ (laughs) so just before we finish we ask everyone these questions so favorite ever player to ever play football Oh, to ever because I was going to ask you, do you want one from recent or one, want one all time? So, ever player is easy for me. Um, it's Dennis Burkamp. It's someone that I kind of grew up watching. And as an Arsenal fan, it was just kind of, it was the Arsenal way combined in one player, just all of these technicality, fancy flicks just absolutely destroying back lines and scoring goals and assists. It was, he was the player that I was just in awe of, no matter what he did on the pitch. That goal against Newcastle speaks for itself, doesn't it really? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, that's for sure. So why don't we go with current player then as well? I always find it really hard because especially with me, where who I'm like got a memory of a fish, so I kind of change all the time because I kind of just absolutely forget people that I'm playing. Um, but at the moment, it has to be Leon Goretzka because I think he's he's un- underrated in terms of like popularity kind of view, but the things he does on the pitch, the double pivot he's in with uh, Yasuo Kimmich. Um, he's just one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the world and I I think he deserves more and more recognition. I mean, as a Bayern fan, I will wholeheartedly agree with that assessment. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah. Um, But yeah, 
then I'll take over the last question. Um, and that is the best match you've ever watched. Again, with my memory problems, like it's kind of hard because again, I just keep on forgetting them. Um, so I, I keep on thinking about this one really, really long and hard. So I, funny enough, the 4-4 against Liverpool came on the other day and the one where Ashavin scores four goals. Uh, I absolutely love Andre Ashavin and that's one of the best goals, I've, the best matches I've ever seen in terms of um, individual player contribution. So it's between that and... A more recent one, the PSG, not PSG, the Bayern Barcelona match in the Champions League last season. That is the funniest stuff that could have gone on. The fact that Bayern brought on Coutinho, who then scored two goals against his parent club, is beyond hilarious to me and just goes into my books because of that alone. I, I love that. I love that last match. That's. Uh... It's brought a smile to my face that has. <laughs> so that's that's all the questions we've got. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk oh, to you. Thank today, you for Jeremy. having yeah. me. It was yeah, so thanks so much fun. for coming on. <laughs> you know, uh, gloomy Easter Monday in uh, quarantine times. It was more than it was more than a blast. Come on. Yeah, thank you very much, and we will post uh, links to the blog and. Jasmine's Twitter page as well for you to check out when we upload this episode. Definitely. But as always, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter pages for AT Sports. Um, and also make sure to check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our RSS feed. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game. <laughs>